It's on. Okay. This is uh, Foxhole Podcast number one. I am Joe DeLisi, and I've got uh, Jamie as my producer today, sitting over here to be an audience, because normally when I speak, um, it's in front of groups, and it's live. And uh, it's easier to do that, because once you say something, you can't go back and change it, or listen to it, um, or frankly, deal with any of the things that you said. Uh, this is a little different, because you're recording it, and uh, it's going to go out, and people are going to you know, be able to rewind it, and I might even be able to hear it. <clears throat> so... I think it's important maybe to talk a little bit about what Foxhole Partner is and why another podcast in uh, a world of so many different podcasts out there and different topics and different people and uh, all sorts of different backgrounds. So, um, you know, Foxhole Partner, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit in a minute, but this this podcast, I think, is a um, maybe a personal development podcast, if we had to put it under a category. Um, I think... It probably will resonate mostly with people who are in sales. Um, and I think that's probably because I, I think people in here who are in sales, they understand that they have to develop and they have to change and they have to work on different things. Um, because, you know, if you're, if you're in corporate America, you get to show up to work every day. And while it's true you need to perform, it, it doesn't usually link one day to the next. So, if you have a bad day in corporate America, you don't really run the risk of not getting a paycheck at the end of that next two weeks. Um, now, if you string enough bad days together in a row, yeah, you're going to have some problems. But generally speaking, you've got uh, you've got some space to work with there. But salespeople are different. Um, salespeople, by and large, and of course it depends on the industry, uh, you, know, you might have some base income or something like that, but most salespeople understand that they're working on commission. And if you have a bad day in sales and you, you know, you're not going to get paid, you have to go out and you have to hunt and you have to kill and you have to eat. Um, and because of that, I, I've just kind of seen that salespeople will tend to, I don't know, reach out for more help um, on themselves, not just their craft, not just their product or, or things like that, but, um, but other areas because they, they tend to see or they understand maybe intuitively that uh, there's a connection, you know, between how they operate personally and how they operate professionally. So, yeah, this might fall under personal development. It might even fall under sales. Um, but generally speaking, I think that this podcast really is going to deal with, with human behavior um, and how we can uh, always be uh, doing a little bit better in different areas. And that's kind of the gist behind this. So how did an idea for another podcast really come to me? Um, well, like most of you guys, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're either in the car, treadmill, or you know, train, you're commuting, or working out, whatever. There are just so many podcasts out there, but I tend to only listen to maybe three or four. Um, I, I like the ones that don't have a lot of fluff around them. Like there's not a lot of music and a lot of advertising and things like that. I just like to kind of get to the core of the thing and listen to the person. And over time, I feel like, you know, I've created a little connection with that person on the other end of that podcast. Um, and I started to think about sort of my background and what I've done in my career. Um, and what, what's happened from a relationship when I speak to people in crowds and, and the podcast was like the next extension of that. So my background, for those of you who have no idea who I am, um, I'm in sales. I am, uh, for 20 years, I've been in, in the financial services uh, industry, selling different products and selling uh, financial planning um, and, and dealing in, a, in an industry, frankly, that's got about a 90% failure rate. And so to kind of start at the beginning, so to speak, because whenever I like to interview people, I want to know where they're from and what their background and how do they grow up and all that kind of stuff. So a real high level you know, view of that, of my background, uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, 
I grew up in a, a family where we didn't move around a lot, but we also didn't stay in one area the whole time. So I went to a couple of different high schools. Um, you know, I had to kind of get used to uh, different environments, different cities and things like that. Um, when I did finally graduate from high school and go to college, I, I wasn't really a great student. I wasn't horrible. I wasn't graduating with high school with a bunch of, you know, D's and F's, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't an A student. I wasn't in danger of getting any scholarships anywhere. Uh, I did get into six different schools, which kind of surprised me, but I wound up choosing the easiest one. Um, because back when I was leaving high school and getting into college, um, you know, the concept of discipline, self-discipline and, and behavior and how it impacts, that was kind of new to me. Uh, looking back on it, I had just been acquiring that skill set really through high school, but it hadn't really resonated. I hadn't understood it really yet. And so my default was to just go easy and go to Maryland. That's where I lived at the time. Um, kind of barely made it through my first year, was on academic probation, um, got cut from a, uh, you know, trying out for the baseball team there, got cut from there. Uh, I felt horrible. I had no idea then what was I going to do. I was no longer an athlete. Um, and essentially, and I, we can get into this maybe in a later podcast, but essentially I, I just directed my, um, my mission, so to speak, to academics. That's all I really had. So I started doing really well in school. I graduated Maryland, um, wound up being Phi Beta Kappa, which I had no idea what that was at the time. Um, apparently it's kind of a big deal, but back then I had no clue. And as I graduated, I was kind of on my way to New York to become an actor. That's what I thought I was going to do. Uh, it was either that or maybe um, move and, and be a lifeguard. Basically anything outside of the world of business. I didn't want to be in business. I didn't want to wear a suit. I didn't want to do anything like that. So, of course, what happened is I got recruited into and accepted a job in the business world um, at uh, an insurance company. And uh, this is back in 19, I think, 97 or 98, somewhere in that uh, time period. And ever since then, I've been in that field and I've expanded. So I haven't just worked with, uh, uh, you know, my private practice working with clients. Um, I've also become a public speaker and, and training other financial advisors. And I've spent 12 years doing that. So I've been in front of the room a lot, um, speaking to anywhere from, <clears throat> it could be six people to 600 people, all different kind of backgrounds, you know, um, male, female, uh, black, white, yellow, doesn't matter. It was really anybody who was in the world of sales. And I, I learned a lot from basically standing in front of a room and looking out at the people who really were out there, frankly, hoping I had answers for them um, because Again, 90% failure rate. Sales is hard anyway. But when you have to go find all of your own clientele, and then you have to go and convince the clientele that what you provide is something that they need. And then after you get through that, you actually have to hand the sale over to maybe an underwriter or in the world of investing, you might have to go through your compliance department. And so now you've got a client who wants what you have to offer. And you've got somebody else now who's going to determine whether the sale is going to go through. And that doesn't occur everywhere in sales. I mean, if you're in, if you're in the world of fitness, as an example, and you sign a new client, they're your client. Um, if you, you know, sell a car, uh, as long as that client can um, pay for it, it's theirs. And they drive off the lot and that's it. But in, in the world of financial sales, it's a little bit different. So it's a very difficult industry. And these people are trained very well on their product. Um, they might even be trained well on language uh, and things to say and how to say it in terms of phrases and frankly manipulation. But what they could never really square up is, is why aren't they doing better? 
Yeah, that's what I saw from, I call it, from the front of the room. Um, and there was just a lot of struggling going on. And over 12 years, what I started to formulate or see was that it wasn't that they were just doing poorly or performing poorly in business, while they certainly were, um, but they were struggling in other areas. They're, they're, there was a lot of struggle with health. A lot of people who are overweight, I mean, this is true of the, you know, the uh, uh, population in general, but... <coughs> Pardon me, I'm still fighting a little cough here, but uh, speaking of health, uh, they weren't just struggling with, you know, their business stuff, but their, their health was subpar. Um, a lot of overweight, a lot of, you know, I don't have time to work out. The problem with that, just from my perspective, is that it's one thing to maybe have a poor relationship with your wife. Nobody would know that really outside your family. If you're just walking down the street, nobody, nobody sees that. Um, but health is different. So if you're overweight, everybody can see it. You can't hide from it. And they weren't really making the connection. They being the people in the audience. But what I saw very clearly is that their confidence levels were very low. And so if you've got more than one thing going on, um, that might be kind of a red area for you. <coughs> maybe it's health, maybe it's money. You add on top of that, a struggle with relationship, maybe with your friends, a lack of friends. Um, you know, deep, close friendships. Maybe you're struggling with your wife or your husband. Maybe it's your kids. You know, maybe you're not connecting with your kids. You add these things all up and you then send that person out into a world where they have to perform every day. You know, they can't just go hide in a cubicle in some Fortune 500 company, but they have to put themselves out there, find people, sell people, and really run a business while at the same time they're battling with all these other things. There's just there's very little room for success there. And so I started to really explore that area. Um, and, and really that's where the, the company Foxhole Partner came from. Um, I was trying to answer the questions that they were asking, but not giving them the answers in the form that they were looking for. In other words, it was, it was somebody who was saying, hey, Joe, I'm really not meeting my income goals. You know, I'm, not, I'm having a hard time getting there. And, my answer back to them was, it's not because you don't understand your product. It's not because you don't understand your software. It's because you have no discipline. Um, it's because you, you don't have any teammates around you. It's because you don't have any um, real mission. There's a lot of different areas that really are the issue. It's not what you think it is. And out of that came the whole idea of Foxhole Partner. And, and it, you know, with this podcast or what I write, uh, what you might read on Facebook or, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching that I do, group coaching, if you see me speak or you listen to the podcast, the truth is I'm not an expert uh, in anything more than just my perspective. So uh, my perspective and my experience and what I see, I mean, it's really borne out through thousands at this point of people that I've, I've seen and, and, and studied from afar uh, in my own research and my own understanding and my own work on myself. That's where this all comes from. But here's the thing. A lot of coaching... I think is sort of my way or the highway. Um, you know, people will say, well, this is the way to be successful. Uh, books do this all the time. You know, they, they formulate an opinion, they put it out there, they put a cover on it, they publish it, and all of a sudden they're the expert and you have to adopt their way of doing it. I don't, I don't really think that's the point of what I'm trying to accomplish. What I'm trying to do is say, hey, listen to what, I'm, what I say from my perspective and from what I've learned. And if 30% of it resonates with you and makes sense, take it and run with it. If 80%, great, take it and run with it. But don't ever think that I'm speaking at 
you or any issue with some authoritarian direction because that's not really my intent. I'm just giving you again my perspective. But what I can say is this. Since 1998, when I got into my, my main business, my private practice, um, yeah, I've been a very successful person, really in any way that you would sort of uh, uh, measure for it um, in the industry, whether it be income, whether it be um, you know, amount of things sold or, or amount of clients brought on, uh, retention of those clients, however you might look at it. I mean, I'm, I'm a top 1% producer in that industry. And it can't be because I went to a really smart college and learned really cool things. It can't be that because when I was at University of Maryland, I was a communication major. I learned nothing about business. I learned nothing about spreadsheets. I learned nothing about numbers or products or taxes or, or any of that stuff. And even on the communication side, I didn't really learn how to deal with people in a sales environment. I really had to learn all that just kind of with intuition, uh, experience, you know, the hard knocks basically of that industry. And so I'm coming at you 20 years in now at the age of almost 43 with a perspective that I think is unique because I've done what most of you are trying to achieve, regardless of the industry that you're in. I've kind of checked that box. You know, I've got the professional success. I've built a business. I've moved from one city to the next several times and built the business over and over again. Um, but the trick isn't in checking that box as much as it is the other boxes. Um, the self-discipline, the being on a mission, the understanding values and, and on and on. We're going to talk about a little bit today on this, on this podcast. Um, <clears throat> so let, let's get into a little bit. If there's one, I think, main um, subject matter or uh, theme for this podcast and for the company in general, and really even in my private practice and, and all the people that I coach, it's really about behavior. I don't care really what it is you're looking at. It could be, you could be a professional athlete and, uh, you know, trying to improve performance. You could be a professional investor who is trying to figure out the best way to get rate of return on their assets. Um, you could be in personal development for uh, children. It really doesn't matter the, the area you're talking about. If you can handle um, your own behavior, human behavior, if you can address that, if you can constantly make uh, progress in that, then the other areas will tend to fall in line. So really the main theme is behavior. Um, now, there are some sub-themes under that that I think that we'll, we'll continuously hit on uh, throughout this podcast, whether it's just me speaking to you like I am today, or whether it is uh, me interviewing people from other industries, um, or people like my wife who have kind of seen the progression of my business and what it's like from a spousal standpoint. Uh, or there's other people just in sales, um, we're always probably going to wind up coming back to these five, these five main ideas, these five, these five, let's say sub themes under the area of behavior. And in no particular order, let's just talk about them a little bit. Um, number one, I would say is discipline. It's just the first one that kind of comes to my mind. And I don't know, I don't know of any defining work on the area of discipline um, from a science standpoint. Uh, what I do believe is that discipline is a skill set. So that's great news. Um, discipline is not a talent. It's not something you're born with. In fact, I don't think anybody's born with discipline. I think you acquire it. And if it can be acquired, then it's a skill. Um, now, if, if you know a career 
or a successful life, if a good life is your intention, and all the, there's got to be all these different ingredients to go into creating that good life or that successful life, however you define that, I think discipline would probably be the main ingredient. I can't think of any way that you achieve results, um, accomplish goals, create a good life if you lack discipline, consistent discipline. And um, in my work with sales professionals and in all different fields, it's not just the fields of, of finance, but in, in any field really, um, or even in the area of professional athletics, um, really corporate America, anywhere that you look at it, if you've got somebody who's trying to operate without a, a, a baseline skill set of, of good, consistent discipline, you're not going to find a, um, a high performer. And I should take a second on that as well. When I look at high performers, I think I probably define it differently than maybe some of you do. In the area of business, performance is all results driven. So it's very much a performance driven uh, industry. Um, how much have you sold? What is the revenue? You know, how's the stock price doing? Um, that all makes sense to me. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but in and of itself, that does not create a successful person. That's just one area. Almost think of it this way. If you, if you consider your money, if your money has a balance sheet and on the left-hand side of that balance sheet are all your assets, your real estate and your stocks or whatever it is that you consider an asset. And on the right-hand side are your liabilities. So this is your credit cards and your student loans and your, your car loans, your mortgage, etc. The balance of those two things, you know, that you, you, you take your assets, you subtract your liabilities, whatever's left is your net worth. That's just a typical balance sheet. And each side, the assets and the liabilities will have subcategories. So the main category might be asset, but the subcategory, like we said, would be different areas like stocks and savings accounts, etc. Your life, I believe, has a balance sheet as well. So it can't just be about income, which most salespeople, again, if, if, if this tends to be more of a, a sales environment, it's just the type of people who listen to this, you'll think about income or production. It's a part of it for sure. But there are other areas in your life too that's on that balance sheet. Um, I would say your spirituality. If you believe in God, um, you know whatever religion you are, your level of uh, interaction with God, that is a part of a, of a balance sheet of life. Your physical well-being would be a subcategory. And then under that, you would have subcategories too. You'd have things like, okay, my physical well-being, what does that entail? Well, it entails a lot of different stuff. It's nutrition. It's your mobility, you know, how flexible you are. It's your strength. It's your cardiovascular output, right? So you see all these little kind of subcategories under uh, the area of health. Um, and you can, can, you can go on. So you can talk about things like, all right, well, then what about my money situation? And what about my, um, maybe it's my house. And if you have a house, then do you have a security system? And what kind of security system? There's all these different things that go on in the balance sheet of life. And most people have never been trained to look at it that way. They're really focused on one thing, which is maybe income. And they're not able to optimize it. And what I would tell you is that mostly it's because those other areas that you're not really focused on, but do exist, there's something off in those areas. You're not achieving optimal results in those areas. When that occurs, and you kind of start feeling that, and you, you, you almost feel like a, you know, a lion pacing in a zoo, um, most people tend to just move towards the area that they're competent in, like naturally. So what, in the area of business, what I'll see is if you're not very good at leading teams, although that's part of your job, you're just not very good at it, 
you'll tend to walk away from making major decisions or confrontation. You'll just avoid it. Instead, what you'll do is you'll work on the spreadsheets because you're really good at that. Just naturally, you, you tend to move towards spreadsheets. Um, if it's in the area of fitness, you might be really good at getting up every day and going to the gym. Um, and you, know, you can go and you can lift the weights because that's easy for you. You like it, you enjoy it. But what you don't like is a Stairmaster. You know, and so you avoid um, maybe parts of your body like legs. Nobody likes to work out legs or they don't like to get on a Stairmaster. Um, Jamie's looking at me with a mad look because she likes to work out her legs. But my point is, when you're not really looking at an entire balance of life in all different areas and subcategories and being very uh, intentional with those, you're just going to default to the easy things. Now, I'm talking about this all right now because I've sort of broken down in my mind what I call 90-10-1. And again, from the front of the room, this is what I see. If I look out of a room of 100 people, no matter their background, no matter who they know, no matter you know what they look like, I know that about 90% of that room, they're completely comfortable with where they're at. They are... I, I took this phrase from somewhere. If I knew who I stole it from, I, I would give them credit. But they are comfortably dissatisfied. They are not happy with where they're at in life, but they're kind of cool with it. Like the idea of the pain that they'd have to go through in order to move the needle to become more satisfied with life, like they're not okay doing that. So they stay where they are. They're comfortable. This isn't a knock on them. It's just that's really how 90% of people work. And, and if you are honest with yourself, um, you know this to be true either of you or of people around you. Just go sit in you know, a Walmart parking lot and look around at some of the people that walk in and out of that store. The other 10%, I would say, are uh, they are uncomfortable with and dissatisfied with their life. So they, they know they can do better. They want to do better. And these are the kind of people that will show up at seminars. They'll, they'll listen to this podcast. They will scroll through Facebook. They'll buy books. Um, you know, they, they will make some inroads, some sort of attempt to get out of the box a little bit and maybe, maybe get after it and, and make their life a little bit better. You know, they're uncomfortable. However, they don't really have the discipline to take it the next step, which is to then execute on the things that they're learning. And that 10% group of people, those are the people that, that really interest me the most because they've done the hard part, meaning they've come to realize that, yeah, this isn't cool with what, where I am right now is not good enough. I need to do something about it. They make the first step towards it, but then they just don't simply execute on it. It's the 1% person. That's why I call it 90-10-1. This 1% person will hear somebody like me. They'll read a book. Um, they, they might even, it could be as simple as watching a movie. And it might start as motivation. It might start as inspiration. They might look at something and say, that's it. I'm done with this. I'm going to fill in the blank. The interesting thing is the I'm going to person, that's the 10%. Those are the people that talk about what they're going to do. The 1% person just goes and does it. And the only way that I can tell the difference between the 1% and the 10% is execution. It's not even results. Because just by doing something, you're not really guaranteed any results. You could, you could make sales calls. You could, um, you could really do anything in any line, and there's not a guarantee of result. There's going to be a little bit of talent. There's going to be a little bit of luck. There's going to be a lot of different things that will come into play as to whether that result's going to look a certain way or not. But the execution is where I can tell there's a 1% person. And 
they may not achieve the results that they would expect, let's say maybe in money, but they do achieve it in health. Or they don't necessarily get it in health or not quick enough, but they achieve it in their, in their personal relationships with their wife or, or husband. The 1% person understands discipline. They may understand it intuitively, or they may have gone out and heard somebody like me speak about it as, in terms of, okay, this is a skill set that you have to acquire. And they go after it and they figure out how to acquire the skill set of discipline. Once they do that, they just point that discipline at any target they want. So if we go back to the concept of that balance sheet of life as an example, and this person, this 1% person has figured out, ah, discipline is the key. Um, what they then do, once they have acquired the discipline, they know what it feels like, they know how it acts in their life, they know what it takes to do it, then they just apply it to all those different subcategories. So if they're lacking in money, um, but they're doing really well, let's say in health, you know, they work out three, four times, you know, three, four hours a day at the gym, plenty of time to work out, but they're not quite hitting their income goals, well, they can maybe just have the discipline to move some of that time from the gym into um, their financial world or time from the gym into time spent with their kids instead. <clears throat> they tend to knock out things on their lists. They do things today. As an example, um, the, the really, I, don't, I didn't want to sit down and do podcast number one. As I told you when I first started, there's a difference between standing up in front of a crowd and just going off and, and talking versus recording it. Um, live is one thing, recorded is different. I kind of didn't want to do the podcast, but the issue with that is that my whole life is really built around discipline. And for me, what I know is that discipline really is nothing more than just doing what you say you're going to do. So if you put on the calendar that you're going to do a podcast, your first podcast at 12 o'clock on a Friday, then you do it. It doesn't matter what the result is. Another large theme um, would be, and I'm just going to go to, to uh, teams at this point. And the reason I think this is a good, maybe secondary way to, to go is that if you can acquire consistent discipline in your life, I don't think you're going to be able to hold that discipline very long if you surround yourself with a lot of 90% type people. I'm not telling you to go out and, you know, get rid of your best buddy or, you know, dump your family. But I do think it's important to maybe do a little checklist of who you do have around you. Who are you eating lunch with at the office? You know, who are you talking around the water cooler, which doesn't exist anymore, but you know, over email, who do you chat with on the phone on the way on the car ride home? Who do you hang out with? Who's in your, your poker group of friends at night? Like, who are these people? Who are the people you work out with? Um, who are the people that you go to the movies with? If you are looking to develop your life and to, and to acquire the targets that you've set out for yourself and you believe that discipline is the way to get there, then if you surround yourself with 90% people, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to go be like them. It's kind of like that old phrase, you know, if everyone jumped off uh, a cliff, would you do the same? And everyone will rotely answer no, but that's not true. The truth is that if all your friends jumped off a cliff, most people would jump off the cliff. I see it all the time. You know, people will tell me, uh, well, I don't want to do Joe financially what you're telling me to do because nobody else does it that way. When most other people are broke, most statistics in American retirement will tell you that most people don't have any money. Um, same thing with marriage. You know, the, the marriage failure rate in America, let's just say is over 50%. And, um, 
but most people operate in their marriages just like everyone else does. So if you are going to surround yourself with 90% people, odds are you're either going to become just like them or what's going to happen is everyone's going to rely on you for everything. And you're just not going to have the, the wherewithal and the capacity to do anything for yourself, let alone everybody else. So teams and who you have around you, it becomes very, very important. And we're going to do a whole podcast just on that concept. Uh, and again, teams, let me just say this, you could have different teams for different, different things. You've got your deep personal team. This could be wife. This could be family members. This could be people you've known for a long time. Um, people you'd consider maybe your brothers, even though you're not blood related. You could also have business teams. Um, you could have fitness teams. It doesn't have to all be the same people. There could be some overlap, but you, you just have to be intentional about who you put around you and, and when and why. The, I think the third area uh, of the five would be maybe mission. And, or you could call it purpose. Um, some people refer to this as the why, quote unquote, the why. I don't really like that. I don't like the start with why movement. Um, and I have to admit, I haven't read the book. <clears throat> I haven't uh, really done any work on that. I know the author. I think he's phenomenal. I've, I've listened to Simon Sinek many, many times on YouTube and things like that. I think he's great. I, I kind of get the sense that maybe people are taking his work out of context. Um, and everyone wants to develop a why or a mission statement or you know some sort of a value statement. They write it down or an affirmation phrase. They put it on their refrigerator. They read it every day. And it doesn't do a damn thing for them. That's not what I'm referring to when I'm talking about a purpose or, or a mission. What I'm talking about is something much, much deeper than that. Now, I can, I'll use my own personal experience. So growing up, I was always, I'll just say in my own words, I was always kind of unique. I was special. And when I say that, and I'm not saying it like I was better than, I'm just saying I was different then. When I was a kid, I was an actor. I was a working actor. So I was... Uh, doing TV shows and TV commercials and a couple of movies. And I mean, kids who are in fifth, eighth grade, ninth grade, they're not doing those things. Not, not in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, if you live out in California, maybe, or New York, but not in Pittsburgh. So that just set me apart. I didn't like it, by the way, as a kid. I didn't like that. I just wanted to be normal. I wanted to be like every kid. But I got used to it. Then when I moved into high school kind of that time frame, I didn't really follow up with the acting anymore. Now it became athletics. So I was um, really good at hockey. You know, I was just a better skater than most people. Um, it was just a talent that I had. Um, baseball, you know, I wasn't the best player, but I kind of always gravitated towards the best teams, even won a championship in, in high school, uh, high school national championship, national. Again, just set me and my teammates up as separate, different, special. By the time I got to college, I was so used to being unique or sort of set aside that when I got cut from the University of Maryland baseball team, I wasn't ready for it. I just never even thought that that could be a, be a possibility. You know, you hear things like failure is not an option. That's not true. Failure is 100% an option. It happens. Failure is going to happen more often than not. I don't know why we go through life saying failure is not an option. It's just not accurate in any sense of the, of the being. When I got cut from that team, I could never have predicted what I was going to feel. But what I felt was a lack of a mission. I had no purpose. I had nothing special about me. I just felt like, well, now I'm just going to walk around campus and I'm just like everybody else. I had no idea what to do with that. At the time, I thought that that was a problem. Looking back now with perspective, 
what I'll tell you is it, it wasn't a problem. Feeling like you always operate different, not better than, different than, that I think is an indication at least of a, of a 10% person, if not a 1% person. They just don't understand how to do things like everybody else does them. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't resonate with them. Even things like this podcast. I listen to podcasts and I hear what they call, I guess, bumper music, starting and ending a podcast. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know why people do that. I think they do it because everyone else does it. And everyone else does it because that's how radio shows did it. Um, it's just those little things. Like, to me, it's like, well, let's just not do that. Let's just try it different. But now that was taken away from me. And so with no mission in college, I had a choice. I could just be like everybody else and, and see what that life was like. Or I could find an outlet. I could find a pers- purpose. I could, I could re- redirect or repurpose this energy that I just had inside of me. And what I just did, for lack of a better choice, was I chose academics. I didn't care about college. I didn't care about communication. I didn't care about any of the classes I was taking. For me, it became a game. If most people weren't getting A's, then I wanted all A's. It just became a game with me. And that's how I was going to set myself apart from everybody else. So when other students would complain about the papers and the professors and the tests, I just was like, well, okay, only a few people are going to get A's. I'm going to be one of them because it's just what I do. And sure enough, as time went on, people kind of looked at me as, oh yeah, that guy, he's, he's the one that gets all the A's. I wasn't, I was no smarter. <clears throat> I definitely wasn't. I learned how to play the game. I learned what they required to get all A's. But the interesting thing was in doing so, I opened myself up for all kinds of experiences and opportunities that the other kids just didn't. I didn't act on most of those opportunities because they didn't interest me. But again, it taught me Ah, I need a purpose. I need a driving mission. I need something I'm always directed to or headed to. You you get in the world of business, sales, marriage, um, fatherhood, any of those areas. If you're going to go about those things as just part of your daily routine and you don't put them in context of greater mission and purpose, then you're setting yourself up to fail. Doesn't matter even if you have discipline, doesn't matter if you have good people around you. If you go to work on Monday morning at eight o'clock, because that's when people go to work and there's no other reason beyond it, um, you're, you're not going to be able to perform at a high level because you're operating with a pack mentality. And what I would say is that you have to do two things at the same time. You, you have to have a pack, you have to have teams. We talked about that a minute ago, but you also have to be, um, on a greater mission. So the way I look at it, just this is how I play the game in my own world. Um, as a father, as an example, I look at, okay, there's good and evil in the world. And it's, it, it can't even all the time, you can't even always see it. And my role as a dad isn't necessarily to, um, let's say, do all the outwardly things. Like, okay, it's easy to show up at a sporting event and clap for the kids. Like, that's easy. You could check the box on that and everyone says, oh, look, he's such a good dad. Yeah, that's true. But Really what you're looking for is, can you train your children to have these other things we're talking about, like discipline? Can you train your children to understand that life is very complicated and there's evil out there and your job right now as a father is to protect them, but to build them up, both sons and daughters, in order to to compete in life the way they should? That's a mission. That's different. And that's a 24-7 deal. It's not checking the box. It's life or death. And you might look at that and kind of roll your eyes and be like, oh, okay, that's a little bit dramatic. Yeah, that's the point. Missions should be dramatic. 
they should always have a, a hint of danger in them. Again, going back to sales, I think this will resonate with salespeople because if you go to corporate America and you're getting, you get your check every two weeks, there's not a lot of danger in that. When all of a sudden you have to go out and you're 100% commission, man, you can really fail. You can really screw things up. You could mess up your family. You could screw up your balance sheet. You could go bankrupt. There's danger there. And I think that danger resonates with certain people if they're on a mission. So again, the phrase I like to use there is we don't want to check the box. We don't want to say things like, oh, college planning? Yes, I, I am putting $50 a month into a savings account for my kid's college. Check. I got that handled. Oh, working out, physical activity, fitness, nutrition. Yeah, got it. I had a salad on Wednesday. Check the box. I'm good. That's that 90% mentality. Another area might be values. And I think this is a confusing one for folks. We'll spend a lot of time on this too. And when I say values, I really almost mean more characteristics. And I think these things come out, you know, you, you come out uh, in the world with these stamped on you. They're, they're God stamped into you. It's not something that you can go really change. Um, as an example, I'll just use an example of one of mine. Um, I, I value boldness. It's a characteristic that I just have in me. And I like to use boldness as an example because it sounds cool, you know, being bold. <clears throat> you could say that sounds like being daring or courageous or any of that. And that, that's true. But like anything, there's a dichotomy or there's a continuum. And boldness can operate in any one of two ways. You could be, um, you know, in the area of sales as an example, you could move quickly with your clientele. You could not just go through your rote material and your language and your pre-prepped presentation when you know that the client needs help quickly and you identify their problem, you speak their problem quickly and you solve it. That's being bold and, and people will value that if it's, you know, if it's uniquely something that you, that is one of your characteristics. But the flip side of boldness is just being a dick. And, and this happens to me a lot. And being able to self-diagnose it is important. It's something that I find that, again, from the front of the room, I don't think people think about this enough. And so they don't understand when they're moving back and forth between the good and the bad side of their values. So an area, you know, boldness being a negative would be something like um, giving advice to people when they don't ask for it. This is hard. This is hard for certainly a 1% person or even a 10% person when you do self-development and you're really working on yourself and the hard work it takes, then you look out at the people that are just sort of always complaining, you know, the 90% people. Um, it's almost innate in you. It's, it's, it's natural that when people say something, you just want to solve the problem and you just give them the advice and you kind of almost, you're really quick with them and maybe, maybe curt with them. This is how it comes out me when it's negative. Well, in that context, boldness is not valuable. And uh, in context of sales, when you're bold and it's not valuable, when you're speaking, when the people don't want you to speak or when you're putting it in a way that's just too sharp or too, too quick, that's when you tend to lose sales, lose people, and you won't even know it. Relationships work the same way. You know, when you're, when your kids aren't paying attention to you, when your spouse doesn't have any time for you, when your friends stop calling you and you don't know why you didn't do anything to them. A lot of times it's because you don't understand your own value system, your own characteristics, and you don't really understand when you're operating from a good side versus a bad side. <clears throat> and then finally, the fifth one, I would say is something I, I call compartmentalization. And this also has a dichotomy or, or a continuum to it. Um, compartmentalizing works this way. Sometimes it's good. If you are, 
if you are a Major League Baseball player and you step into the batter's box and the pitcher's throwing 100 miles an hour, which is commonplace now, and you're thinking about your financial problems or the, this, the argument you just have with your girlfriend or your wife, and you're not 100% focused on the 100-mile-an-hour fastball coming out of that pitcher's hand, that's not a good spot to be in. You absolutely need to compartmentalize. So compartmentalization is basically siloing off everything else but the task at hand. You're in the batter's box. You're there to pick up the spin of the ball and decide whether or not to hit it or, frankly, dive out of the way because it's coming towards your head. If you're in the military, same thing. You know, you step the foot, your foot on the battlefield, and you can't be thinking about, you know, the, the, the money that's due on your car when it's life or death. When you're in a sales situation, you sit down again. You can't be thinking about the argument you just had with your, your support staff when it's a, it's a you know, it, you have to produce results with the sale. So in that context, compartmentalization is a, is a, is a skill set, just like discipline, that can be acquired and must be utilized. The problem is a lot of people with compartmentalization, it comes naturally to them, but they never know when to turn it off. And, and what you find with those people is that they look like 1% people, but only in one area. Think of Tiger Woods or Bill Clinton or Bill Cosby. Uh, a lot of bills here, but people who are just so clearly head and shoulders above the rest of the galaxy in their chosen profession, um, but can't handle anything on a personal relationship. Um, the NFL superstar who is a Hall of Fame linebacker, but is drug addicted and broke three years out of the league. So they compartmentalize in a bad way. They only operate in one area. They never take a step back and deal with any of the other areas, or like we referred to earlier, that balance sheet of life for them has one category. And this happens with everybody that, that I deal with who is not achieving the success that they're looking for, is that they're over-indexing just to one area. And so you'll, you'll hear these things too. You'll hear, well, should I focus on my weaknesses or should I focus on my strengths? And the answer is both. You, the, the schools of thought that say, oh, only, only, only focus on your strengths and hire out the rest. Maybe, but if that's all you do ever, then you're going to tend to operate that way in your personal life as well, and it won't work there. If you only focus on your weaknesses and you never utilize your strengths, then you're just not using the things that actually make you valuable in the marketplace, and that, that is foolishness. So compartmentalization, teams, the skill of discipline, understanding your values, uh, being on a mission, understanding what that mission is. These are all things that aren't going to come necessarily easy to you. And it may take 10 years to develop, but the 10 years are going to go by either way. So if you're not going to address your behavior, if you're not going to start becoming more honest with yourself, yeah, this is when I just tend to mail it in versus <clears throat> when I tend to really work hard on things. Uh, if you're not willing to take a step back and really answer the question like, hey, I've been in this career for one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, and I just can't make it work. Maybe it's not the career. Maybe it's not the product. Maybe it's not the language or the software. Maybe it's something else. And maybe it's time to look out in those other areas. I think I kind of want to close with this. Uh, I was just having this conversation uh, over lunch uh, with Jamie. We all, you know, at 42, 43 years old, almost 43 years old, I'm an adult. Have been for a long time. But when do we get that adult certificate? When, when do you graduate to being an adult? And the answer is you don't. 
So when, when you're a little boy or a little girl and you do something well or you fail at something, it's your parents' job to be there to, to interpret that failure for you or interpret the success. It's the, it's the adult's job, it's the parent's job to explain things to you and, and provide you with self-confidence and maybe knock you down a peg or two when you need to. Then we reach the magic age of, I don't know, 18, 23, 25, whatever, 30. And now all of a sudden those people, they're gone. Especially now. Um, it just seems like, you know, just people are become people act like children much later in life, even though they look like adults. So we've got a bunch of adults walking around looking the part, but they're not operating as adults. And they're wondering, well, why don't they have self-confidence? If you ask any of the people that work with me, either one-on-one or in a group area from a coaching perspective, if, if, if I think if you polled those people, not across the board, but almost universally, what they're going to say is the number one thing I took, besides the obvious, like learning things like teamwork and discipline, the number one thing they take away is they understand that they didn't have any self-confidence and it surprised them. And then when they started to gain self-confidence through the working with uh, coaches and other people on their team that can provide that self-confidence, success became much easier. They walked with a swagger. You know, they, they attacked life differently. And you cannot just simply do that by reading a book. In fact, I would submit that for the most part, to gain things like self-confidence outside of just working with people um, and being in teams, you have to almost acquire that through kinesthetics, through body. Um, not across the board, this isn't true for everybody, but it just seems to be the norm for me is that there's got to be some form of physicality to it because that will encompass everything. It encompasses obviously your physical fitness and your mental and your emotional. It touches all the areas at once rather than just reading a book or listening to a podcast. And so to, to borrow a, a concept from a, a coach of mine, uh, Eric Davis, he, he used an example one time and he said this, if you ever go to a zoo and you look at some of the animals, and I think he used the, the example of a polar bear, and you see a polar bear just sort of pacing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, that makes total sense, is what he said, because in the real world, a polar bear has thousands of acres to roam, and he can eat when he wants, and he can hunt when he wants, and he can sleep when he wants, and, uh, and he can play when he wants. Then you get a polar bear and you bring him to a zoo. And you can make the zoo look like real life. It can be cold in there. It can have ice. It can have water. It can have you know fish there for him to get. But the thing is, the polar bear doesn't get to hunt for the fish. The polar bear doesn't get to wander thousands of acres. And so what happens is it just starts to pace. It's got all this energy built up inside of it. It doesn't know what to do with. <clears throat> and eventually, the polar bear is going to start doing things like self-mutilating behaviors. It might be ripping its own claws out. It might be... Um, acting out on the trainers. It could be any, any number of things for the polar bear. But that is a wonderful example of what happens to us all now in 2017. None of us have to go hunt for, not in America anyway, hunt for our food and our water. We don't have to worry about if it's raining or not tonight. We just go home and go into our nice covered house and get under the covers. It seems too easy. And but we still have this need for danger and mission and, and personal relationships and, and deep teamwork and, and spirituality and all these things. We still have a need for it, but with the scrolling through phones and 
and all the wonderful things that technology brings us, it also takes something away from us. And the way that we act out, just like the polar bear does, from what I've seen from the front of the room, is that we tend to do what? We eat, we drink, we look at pornography, we spend too much money in retail therapy, um, we sign our kids up for every league that is out there, we over-schedule everybody, and we feel antsy all the time. What I want to focus on on this podcast and the people that we interview are not just the success stories that the people might talk about when they're on this podcast, but... But these issues that I'm talking about today, I'm going to bring them up with the people that we interview and see what they think about it and how they handle it and how it is entering their life. Um, I'm going to talk to you about my own personal examples and things that I've dealt with and the failures that I've had because I've had some big ones. Um, and what do you do with those? And how do you move through it? And how do you, how do you, oper- how do you, how do you train your kids the right way? This is the point of this podcast. Um, so I think pretty much that's all I've got to say on this podcast. Jamie, how long did we go there? Oh, I don't know. We don't know how long it was. I didn't keep track either. Okay. Well, let's end it this way. If you would, there is an ebook out there, um, that a lot of the things that we just talked about today are are written down. You can get my thoughts on it. If you go to, uh, uh, www.foxholepartner.com. Dot com. That's without an S on the end, just foxholepartner.com. Uh, you can download the ebook there. You can also see some other things that we've got on there, like 30-day challenges that we've built out. And you can uh, also access almost all that information on our Facebook page. If you want to contact me uh, or if you have questions or if you have ideas for the podcast, a great way to reach me is either through that website, uh, foxholepartner.com, or Joe DeLisi, Foxhole Partner on Facebook. Um, So with that, we will close uh, podcast number one and look forward to the next one.